Funny story, um, the first sermon I ever gave was, was uh, on Mother's Day. And I've told you this in the past, but I didn't know it was Mother's Day. So I preached on the wrath of God. That's not a joke, okay? And it's interesting because almost every year that Mother's Day comes up, do you know what is on the docket? Like the wrath of God, the anger of God. And so um, this week we're looking and it's Genesis 6 and the flood and God is going to blot out humanity from the face of the earth. So I decided to go for this week and next week, just a little bit different route. I decided, you know what? For once in my life, on Mother's Day, I don't want to preach on the wrath of God. So I, ladies, um, uh, I hope that this is more of a blessing to you on Mother's Day. And uh, so we have a couple of things at the end of the service that I'm particularly um, excited about. So, um, But I want, to, I want to start off and share something with you um, as a church. And um, I want you to hear my heart on something. Um, my desire, I'm 37 right now, I'm almost 38 years old, and my desire as I stand here before you um, with as pure motive as I can say this is uh, I, I have zero desire to build a megachurch. Um, I, I know that probably most pastors in their 20s, uh, myself in my 20s, um, you know, there are illusions of what you want to see happen and what you want to do or whatnot. But you know what? Life and ministry kind of just give you perspective and maturity, gives you kind of more clarity. And, and, I, and I look out at Village Church and we look to the, the future of our church. And one of the things that I just love is this special season that we have been in to still be a family and to be together and to know one another and to love one another, um, to invite new people into this as a family. It's just a very beautiful privilege that we have. And, and over the last couple of years, um, I, I have very intentionally thought about even just my legacy. I remember when we did that series on legacy um, not too long ago, and thought, what, do, what is really valuable for me? Um, what do I want to see the Lord do in me, in my kids, in my grandkids, uh, with the ministry, the temporary calling that I have in this moment, in this place? And, and I'll share with you maybe just some of the highest level thoughts that I can give you in terms of like what my heart is beating for. And uh, I, I hope this is something that rubs off on you as well. My heart is to make, equip, and release disciples of Jesus. Um, I want to see people who don't love God meet Jesus and have their life transformed. I want over the long haul, like when you come into Village Church and you worship and over the long haul of my teaching or the teaching of the pastors of Village Church, I want you to come through here and if you're already a Christian, I want you to be more and more equipped. I want you to get the tools and the resources that you need to live for Jesus in a crazy world. Uh, I want you to get the opportunities that God is giving you in terms of your personal ministry calling. I want to give you opportunities to thrive and to grow. Um, I would love to see some of you go out and go to different places and to send you out. Uh, love the opportunity to plant another church, a village churchers who are not obsessed with just us, but seeing more people come to Christ and then equipped. I'd love to see this as a part of our future, but um, one of the things I just want you to see, like this is one of my greatest desires for us, uh, is that this would be a season where we would bear fruit. Now, I'm not just talking the village church, I'm talking about you. I'm talking about individually, every single one of you, that you could look at your life and you could see that Jesus Christ is bearing fruit in your ministry. And this is the fruit I want to bear. Like, I've been preaching in this position now for just about uh, nine or ten years, I guess, at this point. And my desire is not for more numbers. It is for life change and fruit. That's like my real desire. Um, give me a hundred people who love Jesus and bear fruit over 10,000 people in a crowd any, any day, a hundred times over, Right? And, and that's my desire. And, uh, and so what I want to do for this week and next week is um, I actually want to just um, spend two weeks equipping you. So uh, most weeks we go through a text of scripture, through a book of the Bible, we exposit. Uh, and this week what I want to do is just give you a little bit of training. We're going to talk about the nature of the Holy Spirit. Now, uh, here's what I want to say to you. This is a sermon today for those of you, hear me, who want to be used by God. 
if you don't want to be used by God, if you don't want your life to be hard, which by the way, being used of God often means having God ask you to do difficult things, right? So just check out for the next 30 minutes if that's you. If you want to be used for God, if you want God to be able to bear fruit through you, um, this is a sermon that I put together to bless you, to help you, to equip you, to give you some categories, maybe to erase some bad categories in your mind that are, are proving to be fruitless and maybe just help you here. So I'm going to share with you uh, a principle that's really easily forgotten when we talk about bearing fruit, and here it is. All spiritual fruit is grown by the, say it with me, Holy Spirit, right? So you want to bear fruit, okay, you can try as hard as you want, and hard as you want, and hard as you want. At the end of the day, spiritual fruit comes from the Holy Spirit. So here, here's what I love. Everything that I want God to do Every piece of the legacy that I want to leave, everything that I want to happen as a result of this sermon is contingent on the Holy Spirit. It's almost sort of frustrating. And sometimes I'm like, God, you don't need me. Like, you don't need someone to get up here and preach. And yet the foolishness of preaching is that I have zero power. I can manipulate. I can have behavior modification. That's not what I want. Is that what you want? No, you don't want to be manipulated to do different behaviors. You, you want the Holy Spirit to transform you, to convict you, to equip you, to give you what you need to be more like Jesus Christ. So here I am up here, a bumbling mouth, and I have no power whatsoever. And so I pray, I'm like, God, everything that I want in my kids, in my own heart, for you as a result of this sermon and any Bible study I teach, anytime I pray, it doesn't matter. Everything I want is bound up in your decision to actually do it. So here's a a question for me um, that has become pretty important. How do I, can I, activate the Holy Spirit to bear fruit? Are there things that like, I can do that the Holy Spirit will see and say, I, wanna, I want to respond to that? Um, maybe there are things in your life that you're doing, and you're spinning your wheels, and you don't see God moving, and maybe even, maybe possibly this sermon might help you understand why the things you're doing aren't actually bearing fruit, or maybe you're redefining fruit in a way that is not according to the Holy Spirit, right? Um, but here's what I love about just even this place and this principle. Um, if you came into this church, and you saw and you experienced Two people truly, genuinely loving each other, that's the Holy Spirit. If you see somebody pouring out compassion and empathy on somebody else, that's the Holy Spirit. If you see somebody confronting somebody and then them repenting of that sin, guess, guess who that is ultimately? That's the Holy Spirit. If you come in here and you see people um, truly worshiping God in spirit and in truth, guess, guess who's provoking that and prompting that and making that possible? It's the It's the Holy Spirit, right? If you come in here and um, some fool gets up and preaches a a, a weak message and your life has changed, who does that? The Holy Spirit. You're praying, right? And you're like, God, move. And then then something changes. Who does that? The Holy, right? Do you get the point here? Like if there is anything about this place that you love, the Holy Spirit is the one producing it, making it possible, making it real. And so I just keep coming back to this question, Lord, everything that I want for me and my children and my future grandchildren, God willing, and our people and our church and my community group, literally, I am just kind of stuck unless your spirit decides to move. I need you. I'm desperate for you. And then I forget that, by the way, and I just go off in my own power and I try things and I preach messages and the Holy Spirit's like, why aren't you bearing fruit, Michael? Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. So this is my question. So this week we're going to talk about um, bearing fruit in the Holy Spirit. Next week we're going to deal with a different aspect of the Holy Spirit and your soul. It's going to be a very different kind of message, but I want to equip you in your relationship with the Holy Spirit. So um, you can open up your notes. Your notes are blank, so you can just write down what's on the screen if you're a note taker. Um, Four essentials you need to know about the Holy Spirit and bearing fruit. Number one, 
the Holy Spirit happily, happily obeys the Father and the Son. Um, I would add the Holy Spirit happily and always obeys the Father and the Son. Uh, So here's why I say this. Because the key to getting the Holy Spirit to move is knowing what the Father and the Son want. Because here's the Holy Spirit's job. The Holy Spirit's job is to obey and submit to the Father and to the Son. In theological terms, we say that the Holy Spirit proceeds from the Father. The Holy Spirit goes forth and does the will of the Father. This is the Holy Spirit's agenda. And so I'm thinking first and foremost, I'm like, okay, God, I really want your spirit to bear fruit through my ministry. And here's here's the question. Okay, I have to ask God, what do you want? Father, what do you want? What is your heart? What is your will? What is the will? What is the will of God in this? So I have a couple questions after each of these points and um, opportunities for reflection for you um, if you want to bear fruit. And so here's the first question for you. Are you doing or supporting something the scriptures command? So the will of God is revealed in where? The scriptures, the word of God, the Bible, et cetera. This is where God has poured out his heart, his mind, his will for us. We see all the parameters of his values and what's important to him. And and here's my first question. Are you doing or supporting something the scriptures command? I'll give you an illustration. Um, Someone comes up to me and says, Pastor Michael, I want to start a missionary dating ministry, okay? (laughs) And uh, I really think the most effective way to get people to trust in Jesus Christ is if we send out believers in Jesus to date non-Christians, okay? All right, is this a ministry that the, the Father is going to support? Please say no. Everybody say no if you're dating, whatever. I love you enough to say if you're here and you're dating a non-Christian and you're a follower of Jesus that is against God's will, stop it. Fine. But that's not against, that's, so and you're like, you're building this ministry and the pastor says, build the ministry. Like we want to see people come to Christ, right? Let's make disciples who go and grow and overcome, right? So then you go and nobody shows, there's no fruitfulness. In fact, the Christians are falling away, are they not, right? And you're like, why isn't the Holy Spirit bearing fruit? Because it's not according to the will of the Father. It's not one of his values. And so this is one of the first things that we just said. When you're talking about um, the will of God and, and bearing fruit, are you doing or supporting something that the scriptures command? I, I want to give you a couple examples of how maybe this looks. Um, uh, I want to talk about safe families for a moment. Next year, actually, um, one of our elders, John Shales, is going to get up and share more about this. Um, but uh, safe families is this beautiful ministry that enters into the lives of kids who need a home, a safe home, a safe family. Uh, it could be for one night. It could be for six months. And it's a way to get kids out of the foster care system. And so a couple years ago, John and Shelly, uh, they came up to me and they said, well, they said, come to our house. We have a presentation for you. We want to talk to you. I went to their house and they said, um, can we do this? Now, in this moment, let me just tell you, the only thing I, I had to say in that moment was yes. I'm going to tell you why. Um, because the spirit of God is in favor. Do you know how I know that? Because A, the ministry is being blessed. B, Look at this Bible verse. Religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit orphans and widows in their affliction and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Like, if I would have said no to that in that moment, I think lightning would have struck me. It wasn't manipulation. It wasn't anything else. But it was, it was a beautiful thing for me to say, you know what? I can support that. Because that is something that the scriptures support. The heart of God is around orphans. The heart of God is around those who can't care for themselves. And so that was an easy one for me. And I'm looking at that and I can support that. And I expect that as Safe Families uh, more and more integrates with the village church, that the Holy Spirit is going to bear fruit. That he's going to bear fruit through this in you and in the children's lives who um, come through our church. More on that next week. Sharing the gospel. Um, 
here's what I know about sharing the gospel. The gospel is a foolish, ridiculous message to those who don't believe. But what I love about this is bound up in the gospel is power. So that when when the Christian opens their mouth and speaks the foolish gospel that God became flesh and died and then the Father raised him from the dead, right? Like this crazy message that what happens is it is imbued with such power that when non-Christians hear it, it has the power to save. This is, this is what Romans 1 says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. I know you want me to be, but I'm not. I know it's, it's a ridiculous message, but I'm not ashamed. Why? It's the power of God for salvation. Resident in the proclamation of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus is imbued with power by God. And it's interesting because non-Christians hear this and it's crazy. They don't even know why. By the way, if you're a Christian, this is your story too. You hear this and all of a sudden you're like, why do I believe? Like, I don't get it. Because you heard the gospel. When the gospel is preached um, at the right time in the right place, um, the Father awakens the heart of a person to believe in Jesus. So what I love about preaching the gospel is that I, it is so ridiculous to the non-Christian. And yet when, we, when people hear it, that is the means by which they will come to Christ. Building the church. You want to be a part of a ministry that builds the church, whether it's church planting or global missions. Here's what Jesus says. I will build my church. Is that clear enough? He leaves. Here's the Great Commission. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. When we support global outreach, I expect the Lord to bear fruit from that because this is what is close to the heart of the Father. The scriptures are revealing for us these things. I could go on. We have Bible study. You get the point. I mean, I could give you a million of these illustrations. Um, All scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching and reproof and correction, for training and righteousness. Um, You want to know, like, should I be part of a Bible study? Well, expect God to bear fruit in these things because the scriptures are telling you that these things are good. You get the point. And so uh, here's my first question for you. Are you doing or supporting things that the scriptures are affirming here? Number two. Here's the second thing you need to know about bearing fruit. The Holy Spirit wants to bear fruit in you. I want you to catch this. He wants to. I think sometimes we're like, I don't know if he wants to use me. I'm not sure, like, I'm not sure if me doing this is making a difference. Okay, so Remember, the Holy Spirit does whatever the Father and the Son say, right? Jesus is building his church. Um, the Father is passionate about redeeming lost people, like, uh, right? And so, and here's, here's what he wants to do. He wants to use you. This is what he wants. Why does he want to use you? Because the Father wants to use you, and he wants whatever the Father wants. They are one, and they are unified in everything. I think some people are like, you know, I don't know, I, I don't know if this is going to work. I would just say, guys, you have to start with this assumption, that when you go to do something for the Lord, he wants to bear fruit through you. He wants to use you. Now, you cannot predetermine the kind of fruit he's going to bear through you, but I'm telling you this, God wants to use you. God wants to use. The Holy Spirit is chomping at the bit to use you. Now, here's what I've found. Every single believer in this room, if you've trusted in Christ, I want to talk to you very personally for a moment. The scriptures are teaching um, that you have a spiritual ministry, a calling right here and right now. If I were to say to you, what is your ministry? What is your calling? And you cannot articulate that for me. I want you to know something that God has assigned and set apart a specific ministry and calling for you. Now that ministry and calling may change from season to season to season, right? But in each season that there is a ministry, there is a calling for you. I'm not the only one. Your pastors and elders aren't the only ones who have a ministry and a calling. 
And the Holy Spirit has set apart not just some people for ministry, but every single follower of Christ. And he wants to bear fruit through you. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12, 7, one of my favorite verses in the Bible. It is uh, all of Corinthians 12, 13, and 14 are actually um, on spiritual ministries, spiritual gifts, spiritual callings, and about how Christians should know what they are, etc. And here's what he says. To each, by the way, talking to Christians, if you're a Christian, does this apply to you? Say yes. Yes, to each is given. It's not yours, it is given to you by God. I love this phrase, a manifestation of the spirit. Here's what that means. Um, As you have a ministry, again, context of this, when you do that ministry, the spirit is manifested or made visible. To become manifest means this. I once was not visible and now I am visible. It's like a human being walking through a cloud and it gets closer and closer to you and the closer they get, the more clear they get. They're becoming manifest. They're becoming visible. And so here's what the scriptures are saying to you. Every person has a ministry and that as you exercise this ministry, here's the spirit's desire Its desire is to manifest himself, to work, to act, to do the things that the Spirit does, to bear fruit. Now, where should you expect that this fruit is going to be born? For the common good, in the church, other believers in Jesus Christ. I want to ask you a question under this point. Where are you expecting fruit to grow? So here's what I have found. I found that when believers jump into ministry, we wanna see other people change, right? Anyone else, right? They gotta change. Holy Spirit, change them, right? Um, I'll tell you something. Um, I I have found in preaching, um, and this has been a very common denominator in all the men and women that I know that teach anywhere on a regular basis. No one is transformed more than the preacher. And when the preacher stops being transformed, there's probably a problem. Um, I'll tell you my time in the word, my time getting ready, my time sharing, even as I talk, I cannot tell you how many times um, when I'm preaching, my heart is convicted of something. Like if I had another brain and I could multitask in any way, I would be taking personal notes on the side of my sermon of just encouragement or conviction or things that the Holy Spirit is provoking in me. It's interesting because what I find in ministry is that the first fruit that is born is typically the fruit in you. It is the transformation in you. Uh, And I'll tell you, before I want this message to encourage you, train you, equip you, challenge you, build you up, whatever it is, um, I'm coming into this and and my heart is instructed. Uh, My heart is challenged. My heart is, is provoked. Sometimes, it's not always, sometimes the fruit is in other people. It is a, I'll be honest, it is a a rare privilege to see fruit in other people quickly. Um, It's a rare privilege. So I think sometimes what we want, like if if you're a teacher, here's what you want. Like you want to teach, you want the spirit of God to fall, you want everyone to get saved, you want repentance of all their sins right here and right now. Have you guys ever noticed that typically that's not how fruit works, right? Personally, I'm really skeptical of quick fruit. I'm very skeptical of it because almost all quick fruit that I see ends up falling away eventually. Um, and I think the Spirit of God knows this. And so um, the reason I ask this, what are you, where are you expecting fruit to grow is because I think we're expecting it in others now. And I think what the Holy Spirit typically does, in my experience, is that he works on me first. 
Um, and then when he does grow fruit in other people, what he does is he does it slowly. He does it at the core of who they are, often in ways other people don't get to see right away. And he builds strong foundations in people that will last over the long haul. Um, one of the ways I think about preaching um, and bearing fruit is sort of like the game baseball. How many of you like watching the game, base, the game of baseball? Wow. I like softball because it's real fast. The pitches are slow. I like, I mean, it's, it's like an hour long. I mean, I'll be honest. I watch baseball and I'm like, this is so boring. It's so long. Oh my goodness. That's what I feel like about fruit. And I'm like, for the love of God, get to the plate, hit the ball, let's go. It's just a slow, you know what's even worse than baseball? Golf. <laughs> hit the ball, move along. How many people do we need? You get the point, right? But that's how I feel about fruit. You sit there and you preach, right? So like, I'm like, okay, preach for 10 years as a youth pastor. You know, you, especially if you're a youth pastor, you get it for four years in their most malleable time in life. And you're like, why are they so foolish? Like still, I've given them four years of incredible teaching and they're still, you know, like, you know what? Like the Holy Spirit's like, that's not the game I'm playing. The Holy Spirit is playing the foundations game. The Holy Spirit is playing a very different game that I'm playing. So I've learned in preaching that preaching is much more like baseball. I just, I just want to get on base. Like, okay, so um, we had a softball game this Thursday. Village Church won, by the way. Well, we have two teams. One lost, one won. My team won, just to be clear. Um, <laughs> which is the first time, I think, in 18 games we've had a very long losing streak, let's be very honest. Uh, it's not something to brag about, and we almost lost. But, um, but in, in, in the game, um, it's like, I'll just coin it. It's called hero syndrome, right? The bases are loaded. And what do you want when the bases are loaded? I want a grand slam, baby. I want to take the same home. I want glory. I want to go all the way, right? So it doesn't matter who you are, even if there's no one on base, right? I get at the bat, and all that goes through my head is, hit a home run, man. Like, knock it out. Do you know how many home runs I've hit, by the way, in the last two seasons? Zero. Zero, right? I don't have the ability, actually. Like, like wow. And then I watch, like, a couple guys get up, and they smack it all the way over. And I'm like, how do you hit a home run? And I, I'm just not strong enough or something, right? And here's what I've learned, that preaching is a lot like that. Here's what, here's what I, need, I tell myself every time I get at the bat. Just get on base. <laughs> Just get on base. Just get on base because that's where baseball games are won. By and large, they're won because people get on base. I, I'm, I, I may have to bunt to get on base, right? I may have to get walked. And sometimes I get up and preach and it's a walk. It's a bunt, right? The only way I consider a strikeout in preaching is if I preach heresy, okay? So like if I'm preaching truth and I'm preaching scripture, I'm like, and there's a lot of times I get up here, but that's how games are won. I'm trying to learn to play the long game because every sermon is not going to be one where everyone's life has changed. But the Holy Spirit, I believe that when we preach, is working in the foundations and the crevices of people's hearts and minds, slowly dismantling, and somebody may come up and say, oh, that was an amazing sermon. That's not fruit for me. That's beneficial, and that's encouraging, but that's not fruit. Fruit happens five years down the road, by and large. That's what happens. Um, somebody came up to me a long time ago, and they said to me, um, I want to get baptized, and they're a brand new Christian. My, my gut was just like, oh, something isn't right here, okay? I looked at them and I said, if you're still walking with Jesus in any way in six months, I'll baptize you, right? And I've learned that in this culture, right, it, sometimes it can be cool to get baptized or to come to Christ depending on the circles you're in. And uh, within two weeks, that person had already walked away from the Lord. And, and I've just learned that the long game, the long game, that is the game that I want to play when it comes to fruitfulness. I don't know if you know this, but um, there are some roadblocks to fruitfulness, and I'd like to share them with you because you might be in a good place. 
You might be doing a good thing, but the Holy Spirit still may not be moving, and your discernment actually might be true, like nothing's, nothing's happening. Like there's some people I encourage or preach to, and I'm like, I feel like they're going the opposite direction, right? You know those experiences, right? Um, here are four things I think that might help you understand why the Holy Spirit isn't bearing fruit. Number one, willful sin in another. Like you confront someone and they become worse. So it's interesting that the Holy Spirit wants to move, but if there is willful sin in another person, actually the Holy Spirit may step back and say, they're not ready. Like I'm not gonna do that yet. Uh, I want the Holy Spirit to move quicker, right? Do you ever feel like he's not on your timetable? He's like on his own timetable? I'm like, but mine's better. You don't understand Spirit of God, infinite in wisdom, right? <laughs> Worship that bears no fruit. Um, it's, I, I've, I've been on the worship leading side of things and there's nothing more discouraging than leading worship um, and seeing people who are mad, right? And worship's a good thing. I mean, worship is a beautiful thing. God, I mean, God made music and worship and corporate worship. This is wonderful. Um, and you're doing something that in theory is what the spirit loves and the spirit loves is that God's people proclaim and sing truth through word. And yet there are some people who refuse to be moved by the spirit that willful sin in them prevents the spirit from moving. Now, can the spirit overcome their willful sin? What's the answer? Yes. Sometimes he doesn't though, right? Right? You ever, you're like, okay, God, I feel like if, if you love them as much as I do, you would overcome their sin. <laughs> Anyways, I have a lot of thoughts with God, and they sound great on the surface, and the more you dig into them, they're not smart at all. Um, God's like, I'm on my own timetable. You just let me do this. You keep doing your part, I'll do mine. Negligence in you is a reason why you may not see the Holy Spirit moving. I want to come back to this ministry calling for a moment. Um, that if you have a calling in your life, which you do because you are a follower of Jesus Christ, and you neglect the calling, you are neglecting multiple opportunities to see God move. Um, because we are first not a movement or an organization, but a family, um, you will find that in family, when one family member, um, especially a mom or dad, doesn't pull their weight, who does it harm? Everyone. Some of you on Mother's Day, you're actually thinking to yourself, it's not fair what my mom did to me. And it's powerful because in a family, what we do profoundly, positively, neutrally, or negatively affects one another. Here is what I know. It does not matter what church I'm in, what pulpit I'm in. Here's what I know. There are multiple unmet needs in this community because some of you have not walked into your ministry. And the Spirit wants to bear fruit, but He's not because you have not walked into your ministry. Negligence. Number four, the Father's timing versus your timing. You can have a good thing and do it too soon, right? Um, you can have a good thing and it might not be God's timing yet. And this is where you need to get people around you to help you discern is the good thing good now. So in 2009 and 10, um, I'd just come on as lead pastor and a bunch of people were like, we need to have a local outreach ministry because some other churches in the area were doing an incredible job of building really great connections into their community and they were doing things and people were coming to church through them and they were, they were doing good for just a lot of people. And so they would come to me and say, we have to do this. What's wrong with Village Church? And I just kept saying, it drove them nuts. We're not ready. We're not ready. We're not ready. We, we weren't healthy like we needed to be, Right. Um, we needed to get some things in order here before we went out to everyone else and said, come on into our crazy, right? And so, and so it was hard for people. 
And, and, and so about 2011, right, finally there was a sense in which like, we, we could do this. And the Lord raised up the right person. We started to be able to build inroads, but it wasn't the Lord's timing. It was a good thing, right? It was a good thing, but it was the wrong time. And this is where we have to discern not just what are the good things or what are the, what are the right times. You can do a good thing at the wrong time, and it may not bear the fruit you want. Number three, the Holy Spirit is most happy when Jesus is glorified. You gotta understand this if you're gonna understand bearing fruit, okay? John 16, 13 and 14, Jesus is talking to the disciples. He's training them. He says, when the spirit of truth comes, verse 14, he will glorify me. For he will take what is mine and he's gonna declare it to you. This is the spirit's objective, to lift high the name of Jesus Christ. The father is exalting Jesus Christ. The spirit is lifting high the name of Jesus Christ. Do you want the spirit to bear fruit in your life? Make much of Jesus Christ. There's, there's no separating the two. The Spirit will do what the Father says. The Father wants to make much of Jesus Christ. If you want the Spirit to move, make much of Jesus Christ. Like, is that clear enough? Make much of him. Talk about him. Make it about him. Build it on him. Do it for him. Right? You're like, I want to do this thing over here. It has nothing to do with Jesus, but bless me. And I want to say, if you want the Spirit to bless you, like, like be passionate about what the Spirit is passionate about. He's most happy when Jesus is glorified. Two questions for you. Number one, does your heart truly want Jesus to look great and get all the glory? You might do a good thing at the right time with a heart that is selfish and the spirit may just say, mm, you're gonna take the glory. Um, I want Jesus to get the glory, right? He is not interested in competing for glory. And so the spirit knows this. Now, here's the deal. Is your heart ever pure, 100%? I'm gonna go with a big fat no on that one, right? Like, I would love to look at you and just say, all right, Village Church, my heart is 100% pure. There's no selfish ambition or motivations inside of me ever in any way. That's just not true. Um, I wrestle against selfish ambitions and motives on a constant basis. Um, but here, here's the phrase that I love. I feel like in the preaching ministry for me personally, my heart is trending pure. Uh, and I look at you and I say, where's your heart trending? I'm not asking, is there no flaw in you whatsoever? But I think he knows. Like, you may even do something. The Holy Spirit will bear fruit. And even you know you'll be tempted to take credit. But is your heart trending in a place where you know, okay, no, I'm not going to take the credit. I may want the credit, but I'm not going to do it. Where's your heart trending in this? And then here's the second question. Does the ministry itself actually point to Jesus in any way? Evangelistic ministries versus relationship building ministries. I love both of them. There's a place for both in local outreach. But even the relationship building ministries, are there clear pathways for opportunities to connect with Jesus Christ? So we do an Easter egg hunt. This is a pathway ministry. It's a, hey, hello, welcome. Now we have people ready to share the gospel. We have tents with ministry stuff, right? But the goal is to get people to come to Easter, to be honest. Like we want them to come and hear about our resurrected Jesus Christ, right? And so this is a pathway ministry. I can get excited about ministries that are pointing people to Jesus Christ. But if it's pointing people to you or your empire or your personal thing, like the Holy Spirit knows that. And you might find the Holy Spirit is resisting you maybe because of ego or something along the way. Finally, number four. Um, this, this might be maybe a little strange um, for some of you to hear, but I want you to catch this. The Holy Spirit is a person with a personality. The Holy Spirit has a desires, has desires, a will, emotions, passion. I need you to see as you think about fruitfulness of the Holy Spirit, 
take him out of the realm of cyborg, take him out of the realm of like emotionless, a robot, and understand that the Holy Spirit is a person with a personality. And historically, we've called him the, the third person of the Trinity. Um, he has personality. And, and, and I, I want to help you understand just some of this, and then we'll get, give you an illustration. Look at Ephesians 4.30 and, and Acts 15.28. Just little glimpses. I mean, I, I literally had to like weed through so many verses about emotions and personality and whatnot, but you just, you see this. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Can you grieve a robot? Can you grieve a cyborg? Who grieves? People grieve. Persons grieve, Right? You have to understand that although you may not understand how the Holy Spirit works and you may not understand personality apart from a physical body, I mean, he's God, right? He's the third person of the Trinity. He is far more complex than you and I could even get our head around. I love this in Acts 15, 28, just the assumption that the Holy Spirit has opinions. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements. Like, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit. Like, don't you sort of want the Holy Spirit to be more decisive in this moment? Oh, yeah, do whatever you want. Sure, fine. That feels like, you know. But the point here is that the Holy Spirit is a person with a personality. So I want to I make this, this point. Um, I want to bring Brian Hale. Can you come up here for a moment? Because you're so tall, I'm going to ask you to sit down. Um, this is your seat. And uh, I want to ask you a question, okay? Um, Brian. Yep. It, Brian, this, oh, you know what? Can I give you a microphone? Sure. Grab that one right there. It should be on. All right, Brian. How tall are you? Six, seven, and a quarter. That's amazing. How did your uh, softball team do this week? Kind of lost. What was the score? Nineteen to two. That's wow. That's hard to hear. That's hard to hear, bro. That's hard to hear. All right, Brian. I want you to imagine um, you're sitting with someone. We'll just say me. Um, and uh, I want you to imagine um, that I love you dearly. Okay. Is that hard to imagine? No. All right. Good. <laughs> Um, but I want you to imagine that uh, everything that you want for your personal ministry, it's, it's all contingent on me. I have all the resources. I'm the guy, okay? Um, I want you to imagine this, and uh, I, want, I want you to also know this. I'm for you. Um, I, I get so excited for you, man, when you, um, when you reach out to your neighbors to bring the gospel to them. I get so excited for you and your family um, when you engage people. I love, like, the evangelistic gift on your family and that heart that you have, like, I'm for you, right? Now, here, here's the one you understand. Uh, I, have, I am filthy rich when it comes to all of the needs you have. I got them all, okay? And I love you, and I'm for you. Isn't that cool? Isn't it good to know me, right? right? Don't you want to be friends with me? Like, literally everything you need. Now, here's the deal. You can't do it without me. So now I, wanna, I, wanna, I want you to imagine with me, okay? I have everything you need. How are you going to go about accessing these resources for me? It's not a trick question, by the way. I have them. I got to come to you. Yeah, and what would you say to me? Yeah, and, and why would you ask me instead of demand it for me? Probably because that's probably not the right way to do it. Right, awesome, yep, yep. Um, am I like a genie to you? No, am I like a, am I a ATM machine? You just put it in, you put in the right numbers, right? No, I'm like a person, yeah. right? Which is why you would talk to me, right? Sure. And I'm a person that, that you respect and that you love and that you know I love you and respect you, so you're just gonna come up. Now, uh, what might you ask me? All right, so um, what, ex what questions would you expect me to ask you? You know that my heart is for you, but really what I'm most excited about is making sure Jesus is glorified. Like, that's it. Like, man, I just want to know Jesus is glorified, okay? So um, you want me to give you my resources. Um, what kind of questions might I ask you? What am I going to get out of it, maybe? 
yeah, what am I going to get? Like, am I going to be happy out of this, right? And what do I want? I want Jesus to be glorified, right? And, and the reason you'd ask me, I know this is going to sound so dumb, ATM machines don't ask for opinions, do they? They don't ask for motivations, do they? Genies don't either, do they? You just rub a genie, you get three wishes, you get whatever you want. The only people who care, right, are persons. Now, if I were an animal, would you ask me? No, you would take it from me, right? You'd shoot me in the head and you'd eat me, right? <laughs> Lots, of times. Lots of times. I would provide multiple meals for you, okay? I want you to get the point here. I'm not an animal, you don't take it from me. I'm not an ATM machine, you don't put it in and put the right numbers in, okay? I'm not a genie, you don't rub me. That's weird, but we don't do that, okay? Right? <laughs> You ask me because I'm a person. Now, you ask me, and I have desires and ambitions, and I've got resources. I'm accountable for my resources, am I not? And you come and you tell me, I'm going to do this amazing ministry, and uh, it is going to be for the glory of Jesus Christ. But deep down inside, your wife comes to me, and she says, not for the glory of Jesus. He's doing this for his own ego. Am I going to give you my resources? Probably not. I might confront you, though, right? right? So now I want you to imagine, right? I give you my resources. I'm pumped. I'm like, man, I, okay. Here's, here's 100 spiritual dollars. That's all you're going to need to go do your stuff. Okay, you go. You're going to bear awesome fruit. He goes off. Now, here's, here's what he does with the resources I give him. He puts it all into his bank account, and he spends it all on himself. Okay? Can I ask you a question? Yeah. Um, am I a person? Yep. Do I love you? Yep. Do you love me? Yep. yep. What would that do to me? Would it hurt my feelings? Would it break trust? Yeah. Yep. If you came up to me again and asked me for more resources, do you think I'd be inclined to give them to you? A little slower, right? Right? But what do I want for you? Right? I, I want your best. So even though you hurt me and that's real, right? Because I'm a person, I still want what's best for him. So here's the deal. I'm going to come to you because I'm the spirit of God at this point. <laughs> I'm going to convict you, right? And, uh, and I want you to imagine you're broken over it. Apologize to me. So sorry. But what's my heart to him? Well, what'd you do in the first place? Condemnation, condemnation, condemnation. No, is that what the spirit does? It does not. The Spirit is for you. And so you come back, and you, I want to say to you, man, um, here's 50 spiritual dollars. I want to see what you do with it. Now he goes, and he spends it, and he's faithful to glorify Jesus and to do what he said he was going to do. Is my trust growing? Yeah. Um, what do I want to do now when he comes back to me to ask for more? I want to give him more. You see this? Here's the deal. The Holy Spirit is not an animal. He is not an ATM machine, and he's not a genie. He's a person. Why does that matter? Because if you want him to move on your behalf, you have to treat him like one. And you also have to understand that the Holy Spirit is grieved, that when you do things that are against the will of the Father, it hurts him. But this relationship, right, can be reconciled, can or not. Is the Spirit for him even when the Spirit is hurt? Yes. Your children hurt you regularly, don't they? But are you always for them in the process? And the answer, of course, is 100%. Brian, you can take a seat. You're amazing, by the way. I'll take the microphone. Oh. Boom. I'm really, oh yeah, put it back. I'm really sorry about your, your game. Ask me this Sunday how much we lose by, by the way. I want to close and I want to encourage you. The whole point of this is to encourage you and to give you some categories. Can you come up in second service? Because that was way too much fun with you. Um, I want to give you just four simple encouragements um, as we close and we're going to celebrate communion together. How is the Holy Spirit activated? When you do things that the scriptures say are good, that's the foundation. But number two, when you make Jesus look good, like the spirit loves to do this. And if you want him to look good, he will give you the resources that you need to do it. Number three, when your motivations are trending pure, he loves this. He loves 
loves to know that your motivations, broken by sin, are trending, trending pure. And then I wanna, I wanna close with this. When you pray. It's interesting, the book of Luke um, and Acts, they're kind of basically one book broken up into two things, both written by Luke. And the book of Luke um, goes out of its way to make sure you understand two things. Number one, Jesus' relationship to the Holy Spirit. Jesus was filled with the Holy Spirit, empowered by the Holy Spirit, led by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and Jesus had a profound relationship. And here's what Luke wants you to see. If Jesus needed the Holy Spirit this much, how much more you and me, right? But there's a second thing that that Luke wants you to know, which is um, Luke wants you to know that at every single corner of Jesus' ministry, he's praying, And that there is a powerful connection in Luke and Acts between the people of God praying and the movement of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit loves when people pray. Uh, What's that phrase in James? You don't have because you don't ask, right? I think the Holy Spirit loves when you ask. We don't like to ask people with a lot of resources because we feel like maybe they're going to think we're using them. I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit isn't like that. The Holy Spirit understands the point of his resources is to equip you to do the things that scripture says are good, to make Jesus look good with a good motive, and he wants to resource you, and he just loves when the people of God get on their face and pray. And so one of the things I love to do before I preach is I kind of just confess like any broken motivations that I have, and I say, God, I know that I got a lot of issues here, but um, Lord, would you work despite me? And Lord, when my heart wants to take glory for anything, would you humble me? And would you remind me, I am but a fool speaking, and you, you are the one who works and does these things? Lord, would you make me content with your pace? Um, His pace is almost never my pace, but he's infinite in wisdom, and his pace is always the best. When he doesn't move when I want him to move, I'll tell you there's a lot of things I've wanted God to do in you, I'm speaking individually in some people, right? And I think the Holy Spirit is always like, take that finger and point it back at your own heart, Michael. Pray for sure, but are you praying because someone upset you? Or are you praying because you want Jesus to be made much of? Do you see the difference, by the way, in the prayers? I want, I want to, I hate the word, but I don't have a better one. I want to activate the Holy Spirit. And it's not a game, but, but if you understand that he's a person, and you understand that he wants to support you, you understand that he wants Jesus to look good, he wants to bear fruit, this is his job. I mean, that kind of changes the way we think about him and our personal ministry, does it not? I pray this is an encouragement for you. I want to take a minute. I want to pray for you, and then we're going to celebrate communion together. Father, um, thank you for the privilege that we have to be given the promise of the Holy Spirit the moment we trust in Jesus Christ. Thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit. God, I thank you that the Holy Spirit is a person who loves your people. Each one of us individually dwells inside of us, knows our hearts and our motivations more intimately than we could even possibly understand, definitely more than we know ourselves, and yet still loves us. God, I pray this message would truly serve to help, to encourage and to equip and to provoke. God, I know that that will only happen if you do it, so... Would you do that? But Lord, I want to pray as the preacher, first and foremost, would you provoke and challenge and encourage and equip and convict me? And so, Holy Spirit, I am so excited to get to heaven 
and to maybe, maybe just get a glimpse behind the scenes of what you're doing and how you work and all the subtle things and the quiet things. And, and God, for those times when we want you to move faster, would you give us faith and patience? Lord, as we look to the cross now, as we celebrate communion, um, I am so grateful, Jesus, that you went to the cross. Lord, that you ascended into heaven after you were resurrected and then, you, and then God, you sent us the Holy Spirit. So grateful for that. Could not even imagine what it would be like to try to serve you without the empowering of the Holy Spirit. So God, would you help us? And would you do what only you can do in Jesus' name? Amen. John 16, 7, here's what Jesus says. They don't want him to go away. They don't want him to ascend into heaven. And he says, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper, who's the helper, by the way? Holy Spirit. He will not come to you. All the things that you guys want to do, you're not gonna be able to do it unless I go and he comes. But if I go, I will send him to you. Uh, the life, death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus were required for the Holy Spirit to come. Why? Because the gift is for those who have been cleansed by the blood of Christ. And so, I say this every week, but I want you to be so filled with gratitude in communion. And here's one angle for you to understand this. Had Jesus never done this for you, you would have no ability, no spirit in you to do all the things that God is asking you to do. That this, what Jesus has done for us, is the foundation of any of the work of the spirit in our life. Because before the spirit indwells somebody, they must be cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ through faith alone.